Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Because there's nobody in the grave now. Isn't that true? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we can't take a trip over to Jerusalem and find that grave? I'm thankful today that Jesus rose from the dead. If you have your Bible, let's continue in, in worship now through the preaching of God's Word. Uh, take your, your Bible, turn with you to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be a couple of chapters over from where we were this morning, over in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Any of you glad to be here tonight? I saw like some smiles even, Lee, coming, y'all coming in. I said, well, they're happy. Um, any of you get a nap today? Raise your hand. I want to see just a kind of a, oh, man, that's a pretty good percentage right there. Now, I, somebody asked me if I did. I said, well, I got in the bed. I, I mean, I actually got in the bed, you know, set an alarm, got ready to, and about that time I heard two little voices in the, in the living room and sure enough went along where Morgan was on top of me. And so I just got up and uh, enjoyed some time with the grandkids. And so I'll get one here in just a little bit. How about that? Uh, Matthew chapter 18. Find with me tonight verse number one, verse number one. And I want to just ask you if I could, did anybody, was anybody else like me <clears throat> uh, rocked by this morning's message? Uh, I mean, I'm, 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 I need to tell you that it wasn't just a this morning thing for me. And it wasn't just a, you know, since this morning thing for me. You have to think about it. I've, I've been settling. Well, let me just say this. The, this message has been dealing with me all week. And, uh, and this is what I pray for you. I pray that it would deal with you all week. Like a daddy dealing with his son or his daughter. And, and not for condemnation. Not, not to beat you down, but to cause us to see that really the satanic attitude is anything that puts our will over his will. And listen, you and I will have so many opportunities, won't we, this week? Come on, this is yes. <laughs> uh, to live the will of God or live our own will. We will. All of us will have that. And so I pray this week you and I would live as children and not as enemies of God, all right? Matthew chapter 18, if you would, stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word, because now you're nice and comfortable, and uh, that'll get you moving around, get that blood flowing again. I want to read through, uh, remind you some things that happened this morning. Remember where we left off over in chapter 16. Remember as Jesus uh, used Peter's uh, life or moment as a teaching moment. Remember he flowed right into, if you're going to follow me, you'll have to Anybody? Y'all, y'all got a good nap. Deny yourself. And that was the whole thrust of what, when, when, when Jesus told him, get out of my way, Satan. Um, and so we, we said that what he led to in that is that if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we must deny ourselves. There's no other way. We can't have two masters. And that now he goes on in chapter 17, and we see the transfiguration where uh, he brings an inner circle, three of them, James, John, and Peter, uh, to, this, to this place where he is transfigured. He's transfigured into a glorious form, and Peter again speaks up first. Hey, I've learned something from Peter's life. You don't always need to be the first one to speak, you know? And so he, he says, let's build some uh, booths, some places of worship for each one of y'all. And, and we go on through, and the voice of God speaks, and they find themselves face down in fear. And we find that early on. And Jesus says to them in verse 7, Arise and don't be afraid. Aren't you glad? We serve such a magnificent Savior that we should be afraid of Him. But because of His gracious nature, we don't have to be. He doesn't want to destroy us. 
Coming on down, we see a, about a boy, a young boy, who's uh, uh, possessed by a demon, remember? And Jesus, uh, the, he brings him to Jesus, and Jesus rebukes the demon, and the demon leaves. And then, and then the disciples wait a little bit, and they come to Jesus, and they say, well, listen now, why couldn't we <laughs> cast him out? And Jesus ends up telling them that this kind only comes out. Uh, first, he tells them because of their unbelief. And then he adds to that, so remember this, unbelief will will limit your your prayer power, okay? And then he says to them, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting, okay? So I'm just walking you through what we've skipped over. Jesus, again, in verse 22 of of Matthew 17, again, we saw it this morning, begins to explain to them his death and resurrection. Isn't it interesting how many times Jesus talked to his disciples about the fact that he was going to die, he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to rise again. He told them over and over. Now, in this particular passage, in verse 22 and 23, it says, and sorrow filled their heart. So they were at least beginning to be sad about what he was telling them. Well, we saw that in Peter already, right? Peter didn't like that plan. Well, we come on down a little bit. There's an issue of taxes and the temple tax. And Jesus talks about the sons are free, but nevertheless, go catch a fish. He catches a fish. In the fish is the tax money. And again, little signs over and over that he's not just a man, but that he's also God. And he keeps proving it all his days here on the earth. All right, we're picking up in chapter 18, verse 1. You feel like you've kind of fast-forwarded a little bit from this morning? Good. I wanted you to have a little foundation as to what's happened. Let's begin reading in chapter 18, verse 1. And I'm going to read all the way down to verse number 9. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, isn't that an interesting question after all that's just happened? (laughs) You know, you would think they would all just hush their mouths and just continue to listen to him and, and follow him. But no, they, like me and you, are always working an angle, you know, always battling. Hey, listen to this. They, like we, are always battling self. Always battling self. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, and here was their question. Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child over to him. And he set him in the midst. He took the little child, put him in the middle of him. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever, say this word with me, humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to that. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, now there's a little more detail here about these little ones that help us understand. He's not talking about just little children. Okay, I'll I'll explain. Who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire. All right? Now, let's take a moment in preparation and prayer and see if the Lord won't teach us tonight from his word. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Holy Father, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to gather again on this day. And Father, what we acknowledge is that yesterday is over and we're not promised tomorrow. But God, you've given us right now. And I thank you as I look around this room, it's just about full on a Sunday night. God, when many churches have given up gathering are they forsaken the gathering more and more as they see a day approaching? I thank you for a people who still say it's important to me to go back to the house of the Lord and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So, Father, tonight, would you help me again to preach this word? Lord, I'm, I'm desperate for you, and I'm hopeless without you. And so, Lord, would you please, by the power of your spirit and the gift to preach today, put on display that you can use something as simple-minded as myself to proclaim infinite truth. So help me preach, but Lord, also, please help me to listen. Tune our ears in to that still small voice that wants to speak personally to us as a father to his child. So speak from heaven, Lord, we're listening, and do whatever you will by the power of your spirit and your word. And it's in the mighty name of Christ we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now we're going to rewind back to the beginning, and the title of the message is just simply the question where we started in verse number 8. The question is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, what we're going to do is the main idea of this passage is going to tie into the main idea from this morning's passage, which was we must deny ourselves to follow Jesus, right? Very simple, very simple, but also a very difficult truth. Would you agree with that? It's a simple truth. Even a child could understand you can't follow two people at the same time if they're going in different directions, and ourself is definitely going in a different direction than Jesus is. And so we have to, in fact, deny our will to follow his will, all right? Um, But at the same time, we're going to see tonight that there's a little more practicality to what he's teaching here in chapter. 18, all right? So again, the main idea, we must deny ourselves to be great in the kingdom of heaven, all right? Now you're going to see the application as we go along. So Roman numeral one, and there are only two of these main points. Can you believe that? We'll probably be out of here early tonight, you know? All right, here we go. Roman numeral one. Y'all are smiling. That's a, that's a funny smile you got there. Uh, Roman numeral one, we must deny, write this down, we must deny our independence. We must deny our independence. Now, Uh, interestingly enough, we are born uh, completely dependent for just a little while. Would you agree with that statement? Think about a little child. You have to do everything for them. They can't do anything. They're completely dependent, right? A little child is. But as that little child grows, the more they grow and mature, the less dependent they are on the parent. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. And they really, in their mind, they become independent before they should be, and they should ought to be still dependent. How about, how about an amen right there? And I did it, and you probably did it. And so we learned that as a child, we're born uh, with, with a totally dependent nature. We've got to have somebody feed us. We've got to somebody, have somebody hold us. We have to have somebody clean us. We have to have somebody's help to do everything we're doing. And when we're little... When we're, notice he didn't say a child, but he said a little child. So we know that the child that Jesus is bringing into the midst is a small, little child, little toddler, right? And so listen to what he says here in verses 1 through 5. Uh, Jesus came and he said, uh, they asked him the question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, instead of just answering them right away, he brings a child over for an illustration. And he brings the little child, the little child, and set him in the middle of them. And he said to them, and surely I say to you, unless you are, and I like the word here he uses, unless you are converted. Unless, unless you are transformed. Unless you go from who you are to who you need to be. All right? Now he's talking to adult people. He's talking to a group of people who are independent. Nobody has to feed them. Nobody has to dress them. Nobody has to clean them. Nobody has to help them sit up. Nobody has to help them go about the normal routines of life. So he's saying to them, you've got to place yourself in a place of total dependence like this child instead of where you are totally independent and doing things on your own. Now, would you agree with me that that's a wonderful attitude to have if we're really going to follow Jesus? We have to find ourselves totally dependent. And yet the truth of the matter is this, we don't like that at all. How many of you say, I don't like to have people to help me. Uh, I don't want, you know what I mean? You feel a little funny when somebody gives you something or comes to help you do something. You just feel a little bit funny about that. Why? You know what it is? It's independence. 
And we want, to, we want to prove that we can do it on our own. Let me give you a, a little bit more reading here. So he says, Surely unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And understand, he noticed, he doesn't talk about first who's the greatest in the kingdom. He just says you can't even have access into the kingdom unless you humble yourself and acknowledge that you can't do it. You can't be dependent on yourself to get you in the kingdom. You've got to humble yourself like a little child and be totally dependent upon the Lord Jesus for access into the kingdom of heaven. Is it making sense to you now what he's saying to them? A little child is dependent, all right, and not independent. And he's telling them as adults, they've become independent, but in part to be part of the kingdom. They can't work their way in. See, see their idea is if I'm the greatest, then it's going to have something to do with how well I work and how well I serve. And Jesus is wrecking that idea that they can be something in and of themselves, something spectacular, something special. And he says to them, unless you humble yourself and become completely dependent like a little child, you can't even get to heaven. You're not, much less be great in heaven, you can't even get to heaven. Is anybody tracking what I'm saying tonight? Amen. So there's our message to the world uh, that we, listen, if we're going to be a people who are great in the kingdom, we have to deny our independence. And let me say something to you. We'll battle it all day, every day, won't we? It's the, I call it the default setting. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we just do something. A lot of times I watch people and they'll say, well, we got a problem. All right, well, here's what we need to do. We talk about ideas and then we go do it. Nobody ever says we need to stop right now. And just I have a very few friends in my life that say, hey, wait, wait, wait. We're talking about ideas. We better stop and pray. And what you find the common answer is, well, we're independent. We're smart. We're, you know, we've handled problems before. And so let's just talk it out and go put our human logic to it. And what I've learned about God is that he's not confined to human logic. And that sometimes, not always, but sometimes he works in a way that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And he does it in such a way that we can't say, well, boy, we were smart when we had that meeting and we talked it out. And we put all our wisdom together. Uh, we say, man, look what God did. We didn't see that coming. So we have to become totally dependent. We have to deny our independence. I'm going to give you a couple of verses to shape this a little bit. Right in your notes there, Proverbs chapter 3. All right? And you'll remember these verses when I say them. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Listen to what the wisdom writer said in Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with which part of your heart? All of your heart. All of your heart. In other words, uh, can't be a part trusting him and a part trusting you with all your heart. And lean, now he's going to show, don't lean not on your own understanding. You see, the, you see the independence? Don't be independent. Don't lean on your understanding. That's independent. You need to be dependent on the Lord like a little child. He says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. Now, what does it mean to acknowledge? Does it mean tip your hat at him? Does it mean to wear a t-shirt? No, it means to find yourself in every situation seeking the counsel of God. And then when you receive it, even when it doesn't make sense, even then when it's not comfortable, you apply it to your life right then and there. Acknowledging the Lord, right? Uh, and he, and when we do that, listen to what happens. And he shall direct your path. So when you become dependent, he begins to direct and to shape and to point you and me in the right direction. By the way, I need a whole lot of pointing in my life. I need the Holy Spirit constantly in every situation say, go that way, go that way, go that way. Oh, go that way. No, go that way. Go that way. Hey, don't look over that way. Go that way. And that's what he's saying. He'll, he'll direct our paths. And then he goes on. He's just kind of saying the same thing, but he says, do not be wise. You see this? In your own eyes. Now, now flash back to the group. Hey, Jesus, which one is, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Nah, you can't even get in the, in the kingdom unless you quit trusting your ways and you don't under, you don't, you've got to acknowledge God's your only hope and Jesus is the only way. You've got to humble yourself like a little child and become completely dependent upon the Lord for you to even get in. For you to even get in, much less be great. And then he goes on to say, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from 
evil all. So isn't it interesting that he connects independence and dependence, right? Don't be independent, trusting your own ways. Be dependent on the Lord. And he ties that to a battle with sin, evil, wrongdoing. Interestingly enough, Jesus is going to use the same pattern here in Matthew 18. You're going to see it in just a minute, okay? So first, we must deny our independence, which would make us dependent. We need to be totally dependent upon the Lord. Let me give you a statement. Listen to this. Self-reliance separates man from God. Self-reliance, trusting me, leaning on me. It began in a garden called Eden. And God said, I'm going to supply everything you need. Every taste, every texture, it's all for you. I've provided it for you. But you're going to have to depend on me and not be independent and think that your way is better. And yet, at that tree, the one forbidden tree, just one, Adam and Eve both believed that they knew better. And my goodness, when they played the independent role, independent of God, what a mess was made. Every anguish you've ever been through is tied back to a moment in time When humanity said to God, I'm independent, I don't need you, I'll do it my way. And and what a mess we make in our individual lives. Anybody still here? When we make the same decision. When we make the same decision. Some of y'all are thinking right now, boy, I'm so mad at Adam and Eve. And yet, and yet, and yet, we do the same thing on smaller scales all day long. All day long. All right. Let me give you a couple of verses. Still developing the idea we must deny our independence. We must become totally dependent. Okay. So a couple of verses I want to give to you. First Peter chapter 5 verse number 6. Now I'm building toward the example of Jesus. Listen to this. First Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Therefore. Now remember what Jesus said in verse 4 of Matthew 18. Therefore whoever humbles himself as the little child. There was a specific characteristic of the child he was highlighting. The humility of the child. When the child has to ask. Hey mom dad can you, can you feed me? Hey mom dad can you provide a place for me to live? Hey mom dad can you. When they're little children right. Uh, they have to have uh, the, 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 the provision and the authority of the parent. And he says unless you humble yourself there. Um, you can't enter the kingdom. So let me go back to First Peter 5, 6. Therefore, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. At just the right time, he's going to exalt you. But you're, it'll, it'll come from, listen, it'll come from a life of total dependence upon the Lord. God, what should I do today? As I'm going to work, what should I do? Who should I talk to? How should I share the gospel? Lord, what should I invest my time in? Lord, the things that I'm good at, how can I invest them in the kingdom? Lord, how am I going to, what do you want me to say to my friends today? What do you want me to say to my children, to my husband, to my wife? What do you want me to say to my boyfriend, my girlfriend? God, how do you want me to go about my day? As it's already sort of in motion, I'm going to work. I know that part of it. But Lord, how do you want me to go about conversations and, and the things that are going to be discussed at my desk or on the, on the job site. And so it's a total dependence. God, I can't go and be a representative of you unless you do it in me. Total dependence like a little child. If we're ever going to be great in the kingdom, we have to deny ourselves. This self-independence. All right, let me give you another verse. Well, you say, boy, you're giving us a lot of verses. Just hang on. I still have a few more. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Listen to this. Now, I told you I'm building towards our perfect example. And by the way, Peter's not our perfect example. Uh, Instead, the one who he was sort of having some conversation with is our perfect example. Jesus is our perfect example. So listen to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. We must become as a little, what? Child. Now, a little child we know for certain has a mama and a daddy. Did you know that? 
There is no child that doesn't have, now you said, no, 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 I know, I grew up without a daddy. Yeah, but you had a father. The way God designed biology, children must have, somebody says, yeah, but they do stuff in, 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 in lab rooms and all that. Yeah, but it still requires male and female. Y'all tracking with me? And that's the way God designed it. And so, in reference, uh, he says we have to become like a little child. Uh, these children have someone they answer to, someone whose will they're following, right? When your children in your home, they're following your will, or, or they should be. Can I just say that to you? And I believe parents of today need to hear that. Uh, the children need to be following your will, not you bending to the child's will. And now let's show the example. Who is the perfect example of a child following a parent's will? Jesus. Let me show you. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a, he's not talking about a brain. He's talking about a, a thought process. He, he's talking about an, an attitude, the way that you approach something in your thinking, okay? And so he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, what kind of mind was in Jesus? Who being in the form of God, in other words, equal with God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying you have the same thought process, the same way of thinking that Jesus did, who was equal with God. He's God. But he, but he reduced himself, he brought himself down as a, a person with no reputation. He wasn't born in a palace. Uh, he left the throne room of heaven and was born in a, in, a, in a manger scene. You with me? And he's saying he, he emptied himself and became, watch this. Uh, he said he, he took the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. I hear Oh, watch this. He, Jesus, our perfect example, help me out. He did what? Humbled himself. And, and you might would even, leave that verse up there for me for just a minute. You might would even understand it this way. He humbled himself as a child. As a child. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. <clears throat> the Father and the Son and the Spirit are equal. To that I would say yes. In essence. They are equal in essence and value. They're all equally God. Yes. But for the sake of function, the Word of God says that as the man is head of the woman, so is God head of Christ. So you say, what in the world? Well, a parent in function is uh, the authority over the child. But they're both human beings. They're both equally valuable. Is anybody tracking with me tonight? So listen to what he says here, going back to the text. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself and became obedient like a son to the Father. Jesus obeyed to the point, not just obeyed, to just any old command, but he obeyed, y'all help me out, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So what we're, we're still just building what Jesus is saying to them. They said, hey, which one of us is going to be great? Jesus said, you can't even come in the kingdom unless you humble yourself and, and rid yourself of all the independent thinking and all the independent planning and all the independent charting and all the independent doing and you've got to humble yourself and become completely dependent upon God. And Jesus was our perfect example. And he said, you, you and I ought to have the same mind. Everything we do, we ought to approach in prayer. Everything that we do, every decision that we make, everything that we approach, every task we put our hands to, we ought to ask the Lord to help us and show us and guide us, all right? Let me give you uh, the perfect example of the son becoming obedient to the father. You ready? Luke 22 and verse 42. Luke 22 and verse 42. <clears throat> now, 
Hold on before you bring that verse up for me. Luke 22 and 42. Remember this morning, it was a battle of the wills, right? We saw the will of God. Jesus described, remember, that the will of the Father was that the Son was going to go into Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the elders, the scribes, and the Pharisees. He was going to, he's going to die, and on the third day, he's going to be raised to life. And that was the will of the Father. Well, then Peter had his own will. And what we learn from what Peter says to him, now, now remember the scene, he puts his arm around, I don't know if he did or not, but I'm just guessing, he probably put his arm around him and said, now come over here, I need to talk to you. And remember, he said he took him aside. And that word for took means he led him away. Now you imagine that? Here the creature is leading the creator. And he says to him, you remember what he said to him? Far be, no way, Jesus, this is not going to happen. I'm not okay with it. The word says, the word says that he rebuked him. It would sound something like this. Oh, no, you ain't. Can you imagine? When the, when, the, when the son has said, here's what the father's will is. Here's what I'm going to do for all humanity. And Peter, because he wanted Jesus with him. It makes sense. I mean, having Jesus with you would be a wonderful thing, right? Walking and talking, walking on water. All the wonderful things that they did in his lifetime here on the earth that Peter saw firsthand and experienced with him. Of course, it makes sense for him to say, no, 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 not you. I love you too much. I don't want this to happen. Our will versus his will. Now we're going to see the reverse of that. Okay? In Luke 22 and verse 42, we see also a time when wills are in conflict with one another. All right? At least, at least in appearance. Now read with me, okay? Luke 22 and 42. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's this cup of wrath that Jesus is about to drink down. Some of y'all are saying, wait a minute, I don't remember Jesus drinking any cup. It's a, it's a metaphorical speaking. It's actually Old Testament imagery of the cross. That cup of wrath for sin. Jesus drank it. Now, he didn't literally drink a cup, but what did it mean? It mean he faced the wrath of God as he was on the cross, nailed and lifted above the earth. Okay? And so now, think about this for a minute. He's in the garden, and in Luke twenty two forty two, he says this. Now, now, think about the difference between what Peter said to Jesus and what Jesus is saying to the Father. And Jesus, our perfect example, says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, no pause, no explanation, no argument. You see that? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that is the total dependent, obedient nature of a loving child to a parent. And that's what you and I, Jesus said, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven unless that's your attitude toward God. Now let's say in the area of salvation, think about it. At the very core of man, we want to make our own way. And it's why we struggle with the, with the doctrine or the teaching of grace. It's why we want to work our way in. It's why so many uh, denominations, for lack of a better word, are built on you can work your way in. You can go on enough mission trips. You can do enough work uh, that you can get into the kingdom of heaven. And we find very simply put uh, that when you and I do that, that's an independent spirit, independent of the plan of salvation that says, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Now, does that produce works? Yes. But you can't get the cart ahead of the horse. And so you can't work your way in. So total dependence, all right? Uh, let me just sort of move on if I can, all right? That was Roman number one. I'll tell you, there's only, Roman, there's only two, so we'll probably get out of here early. We really probably will. And so Roman number two, write this down, all right? Here we go. We said that we must deny ourselves to be great in the kingdom of heaven. First, we must deny our independence. God help me this week, beginning right now, not to live independent of you. 
but totally dependent upon your word, feeding me, nourishing me, directing me, and prayer where I'm listening for you and I'm talking and talking to you and praising you and around the people of God every opportunity I get. And I'm talking about you to people when they'll listen. If they'll give me an ear and an open door, I want to share about who you are and what you've done in my life. And I want to give an invitation right there at the gas pump. That when I tell them about what you've done for me and what you've done for them, ask them would they be willing to receive you and go out and fish this week. I pray you'd be fishers this week of men. Because if you're fishing, you're following. And I pray you'd be that this week. Number two in our notes, we must deny sin. So we have to deny our independence. But now we're going to talk about specific, the struggle with sin. Any of you in here struggle with sin besides me? How many of you in here say that you daily battle with a struggle with sin? Doing okay, I guess it's all it's a hundred percent, isn't that neat? Uh, and so it's part this is part of the journey down here. This is verse six through nine. So picking up in verse six, Jesus said, uh, we gotta be like this little child, humble ourselves. And he gave us the example. He humbled himself as a child and followed the Father's will all the way to the cross. And I, I wanted to say to you, I am so thankful. That the high king of heaven, the one who breathed galaxies into being, was willing to humble himself and face all that he did. All the ridicule and mockery and all the rejection, all that he did. I mean, just simply leaving up there and coming down here. My goodness, can you imagine? And he did that for me. And he did that for you. Don't you ever doubt God loves you. He loves you so much. All right, picking up in verse number six. But whoever causes one of these little ones. Now, in case they are just focusing on the little child that he sat there. He adds something to the understanding of his explanation of the little ones. Do you see that? He calls these little ones, not just little children, but one of these little ones who believe in me. Now, what he just did, just just before this, he said, Now, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like one of these little ones. So now he's referencing the little ones who've humbled themselves and said, I can't make my way into heaven. I can't make my way into relationship with God. I'm totally dependent upon what Jesus did on the cross, and now I'm part. And so now he's talking about that group of little children, okay? By the way, uh, let me remind you something. If you've been born again, you're nothing more than a child of God. Now I say nothing more, not to reduce the value, but to help you see, you're a child. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know all the answers, I know you take life serious and you think you got everybody dependent on you, but you ought to just take a deep breath and be reminded if you've been born again, you're just a child of God. And that's wonderful. It means you don't have to have it all figured out. And by the way, God doesn't need our help. He's God all by himself. And that, boy, that helps me to just enjoy him on the daily. Let me move on. Okay, here we go. Verse number six. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. Now, who's he talking about? Believers. To sin. So he's talking about now, not, not just specific sin in our lives, but causing other people to sin. It would be better for this person who causes other believers to sin if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Now I want you to think about that experience. Doesn't that sound like something you want to sign up and do? Listen, this week we're going to take you out in a boat and uh, we're going to take you out to the deepest part of the ocean. We're going to tie a stone around your neck. You can, we're not going to tie your hands up because you can swim if you want, you know. We're going to leave your feet untied. You can, you can kick your feet if you want. But what we're going to do is take you out of the depth of that spot, and we're going to toss you over, and that stone is going to start sinking you. And I'm just going to tell you something. Can you imagine the little bit of time that you have oxygen in your body is going to be terrifying? Terrifying. Knowing that all you can do is sink, and all that's ahead of you is drowning. As your body resists sucking water into where only oxygen is supposed to go, you're talking about a fight. And Jesus said, that would be better for you. That would be the best result for you compared to what's coming if you're the cause of another believer's sin. 
Now, we're having another moment like we had this morning, aren't we? Some of us are sitting there going, whoa, I never thought about it like that. So shouldn't we think about it like that? Because I don't want you to get there. I don't want you to ever face that kind of judgment because I never told you. So as the shepherd of God's flock here, think about what he's saying. In my life, I need to be guarded against sin, but I really need to be guarded about causing other people to sin. Now, what are some ways that you and I can cause other people to sin? Boy, talk about a list. Talk about a list. Do you know then, listen, do you know then, it ought to matter to you how you drive? Because when you cut people off, now see, we'll laugh about that, but Jesus wasn't laughing. He said, it'd be better to take you out in the deep part, tie a heavy stone on your neck, toss you over. So it ought to matter to you if you cut people off. It ought to matter to you if you never let anybody out. You know? It ought to matter to you. Yeah, listen. It ought to matter to you how you dress. It ought to matter to you. Listen, it ought to matter to you how you talk to people. Do you know the way that you talk to people can cause them to sin? If you talk down to them, if you, if you, if you ridicule them, if you condemn, if you, talk, if, you, if you talk about them, if you gossip, if you slander, do you know that all of that has the potential to cause somebody to sin? Did you know that what you put in your body? Anybody out there? One of the greatest reasons you ought to leave alcohol alone, one of the greatest, I have many, is that because you could be the source of your own child's addiction to alcohol. You ought to just leave it alone. Well, I just think it'd be better to take you out in the deep part of the ocean, tie a stone around your neck, toss you out and let you go down, you know, struggling. You, 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 all you can think about is panic. You're trying to get up and you're wrestling. You're fighting. And you, you know that it, the moment that you open your mouth, the water's coming in and the pain of that. And, and, you're, and, and he said, that would be so much better for you than if you're the source of somebody else's sin. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but as I'm reading through this again this afternoon, the Lord really got a hold of my attention that I need to walk, listen to this, I need to walk a little more circumspectly. Now, now, circumspectly. See then that you walk circumspectly, redeeming the times because the days are evil. Right? Now, listen, why do I need to be a little more careful? Because sometimes I'm a little haphazard in how I live. It's because I don't, I don't well, I don't always think about what Jesus said. And listen to me, I should. I should think about what Jesus said. If I'm following him, I ought to always be thinking about what Jesus said. So I want to be careful not to cause other people to sin. So I need to, what does the word circumspectly mean? You probably hadn't used that one this week. It just simply means carefully, methodically, planned out a little bit. Think a little ahead about what you're fixing to say or do. And ask myself the question before I speak or act, is what I'm about to say or do going to cause somebody else to sin? Because I don't, no part of me wants to be taken down the deep part of the ocean, much less what's worse than that. So we must deny our sin. And, and what I've been explaining is a little number one, deny being the trigger for sin in others. Oh God, help me to deny that part of me that never considers how my life is going to impact somebody else's. Help me how I talk to people. Help me how I treat people. Help me, Lord, how I spend my money. Help me how I, I instruct my children and grandchildren. Help me, Lord, how I, how I live my life. Y'all tracking with me? Every part of that 
Everything that you and I say and do has the potential to cause somebody to sin. Now, we don't walk around fearfully with eggshells, but it ought to be the love of Christ that compels us. It shouldn't be the motivation of fear that if I don't, boy, there's some bad punishment coming around the corner. But the motivation ought to be the love of Jesus. I love you so much, I don't want to be the source of your, I don't want to be the source of your sin. I don't want to be the one gossiping and invites you into gossip. I don't want to be the one that, y- y'all tracking with me? That's drinking and involved, invites you into drink. I don't want to be the one who's complaining and invites you into an ungrateful spirit. Y- y'all, you see what I'm saying? We have to be so careful with how we live. And I'm not talking uh, because we love one another. You know, because of that, we ought to want each other to experience the most we can in Jesus Christ. And to reach our full potential for Jesus. So, and just by the way, just write this under your notes there. Number one, where we said deny being the trigger for sin in others. There's great penalty for causing other people to sin. My goodness. Lord, help me be mindful of that this week. Hey, I don't know about you, but I need to make some course adjustments in my life. Anybody else? I need to be a little more careful this week. And maybe four or five of us nodding our head. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The rest of you, I'm praying that God will show you. Okay? He'll show you. All right, secondly, and, and finally, under we must deny sin, deny being the trigger for sin in others. But number two, deny the provision for personal sin. Deny the provision. Now, do you know what I mean when I say the provision for sin? Do you know that you already know that yourself already knows where to go to do the thing that you like to do that dishonors God? Anybody know that about you? Anybody know yourself that well? Ourself knows where to go and how to go. And I'm, you know, the longer I live, the more increasingly amazed I am at how crafty the human being can be to hide personal sin. Now, that tells me, as, we, as people do that, as we do that, it means that we already know we've done it, and we have nowhere to go to get it, whatever it is. Let me just read, if I could. Put your eyes with me on verse 8 and 9, and we'll close here. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, so <clears throat> 6 and 7, he deals with causing others to sin. But in 8 and 9, he deals with the things that cause us to sin. You see that? Verse 8. And remember, this conversation began with, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I love Jesus. I love him. He doesn't spend any time, waste any time on, on trivial matters that have no bearing. He goes right to the heart of the matter. And so he says in verse 8, if your hand causes you to sin, cut that thing off and cast it from you. Can you see cutting your hand off and throwing that thing out away from you? Have mercy. That's drastic. That's drastic. But I want you to understand that nowhere in the Word of God are we taught self-mutilation. So again, the greatest interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. And instead, what we find here is what we're going to call hyperbole, which means Jesus says something very drastic to get everybody's attention. And what he's saying here is, whatever in your life that's causing you to sin, get it out, man. Whatever it is. If it's music that's causing you to go back to thinking a certain way and acting a certain way, get it out. Get it out. If there's certain books that you're reading, uh, novels that you're reading, love stories that are causing you to fantasize, get it out, man. Burn those things. Get rid of them. Don't give them to somebody else. Get rid of them, right? Well, whatever is the source, if the buffet is where you struggle, come on, somebody. Avoid that thing. Go somewhere where you have to sit down and order a meal, all right? So he's saying whatever's the provision, whatever's the source that you know, if it's a certain app that you use, uh uh-oh, that leads you to look at things that you shouldn't, delete that sucker. 
Get it out. If there's a certain social media that is keeping you from investing the time in your family uh, that you are, which is a sin, right? Get it out. Delete it. Get it out for there. Truth of the matter is, the hardship is that oftentimes we choose our will over his will. Oh, more. Oh, more. Oh, no. We're going back to that again. And so he says in verse 8, if your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. It's better. He says it's much better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands and two feet and be cast into the everlasting fire. Verse 9, just to repeat, just using a different illustration. If it is your hand that causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell's fire. Friend, I want you to see tonight what he's saying to me and you is we need to deny the provision that leads us to personal sin. Okay? We, We deny being the trigger for other sin, but we also deny the provision that leads us to personal sin. Let me give you a verse and we'll close. Romans 13, 14. Here's what it says. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see somebody like getting dressed and to be able to be clothed in his righteousness. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and, here it is, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill us. You say, what, what is he talking about here? Make no provision. <clears throat> Don't leave the app on your phone. Don't keep going to the buffet. Don't hang out at the bar. You with me? Don't, don't hang out with the gossip. If you tend to gossip, there are people in your circle that gossip. If you have a conversation with them, if they, don't, if they can't stop gossiping, find you a new friend group. Anybody out there? Uh, get away from it. Get it out of your life. Uh, me, I'm just, our life. Get it out of our lives. Put on the Lord Jesus. Make no provision for the flesh. Because here's what provision is. Provision is the place where we fulfill our evil desires. And so we need to get away from that. We need to distance ourselves from it drastically. So much so that he used the reference of cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. So tonight I want to leave you with a verse. I said one, but here's another. One last and final. Here it is. Romans 12, 9. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And there's only one who is good. And that is God. And so tonight, I'd invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Would you do that? Oh, hadn't we had a great day full of, full of straight truth from the Word of God? <clears throat> and I want to say this. Uh, a reminder tonight, we must deny ourselves to be great in the kingdom. This morning, we must deny ourselves to follow Jesus. They both go hand in hand. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to be great in the kingdom. Now, how am I going to get there? I'm going to have to deny my independence. Now, I was born that way. I was born dependent. What do you say? I thought you said kids are, yes, physically they're dependent, but, but emotionally we're independent. That's why as soon as a kid begins to walk, you can't grab their hand anymore. As soon as they learn how to talk, you can't hush them up anymore. And so what we want to do is ask the Lord tonight to help humble us. Help us find our, our place as a little child. Coming before him, adoring him. But not just him who died for us, but him in his ways and his will. Him in his direction for our life. Him in his Holy Spirit's conviction and and understanding of truth. Loving him more. Bowing down to him more. More areas of my life in submission to the wonderful King, King Jesus. So Lord, rid us tonight of our independence. Help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. 
Next, we need to deny sin. Somebody tonight needs to say, Lord, I haven't even thought about the fact that I really need to be careful to not be the trigger for somebody else's sin. If that's a new thought for you, would you ask the Lord to help that seed take root in your heart? That you won't leave out of here and not give that another thought? Because there's great consequence to being the source, the trigger, the reason somebody else sins. Now here's what I'm asking God to do in me and you. God, help me to love people like you love us. Help me to love them so much that I would not want to cause them any consequence for sin in their life because of my life. Lastly, somebody tonight needs to say, Lord, help me. God's identified some things for you. He's identified some things for you. Something that needs to get out. Something that needs to go. Something that needs to be extracted. Something that needs to be given up. And it's going to, listen, it's not. It's easier said than done. Some of you tonight, you need to take your phone out and, and delete an app. You might need to do it right now. Some of you need to, tonight, before you go there to sleep, you need to delete that app. You need to take a different course of action. You need to go ahead and make some decision that you're not going to put your radio station on what you've been putting it on. You need to make some decisions tonight to cut that hand off and pluck that eye out. Drastic measures. So, Father, I pray tonight in the wonderful name Jesus, if there's one person in our midst, who has never been born a second time, born of the Spirit. Then, Lord, I humbly ask you to save them tonight. God, only you can. I pray that your mighty Spirit is dealing with their hearts, showing them their great need for rescue. Lord, I pray that you reveal to them that Jesus Christ, the High King of Heaven, left that throne, came down to earth, went to a criminal's cross, died an innocent Lamb of God in our place so that we could be forgiven. And Lord, that his body was placed in a borrowed tomb because he only needed it for three days. And on that third day, he rose again. Would you reveal to them their great need and the great love that you displayed there? And God, would you reveal to them the power of that resurrection? That he rose from the dead. And that same power can live inside of them. The same power of that blood can wash them clean tonight. All they must do is turn away from themselves and turn unto Jesus. And confess with their mouth, believing in their heart, confess Him as Lord. I pray they do it right now. In their chair, riding down the road, in the captain's room, at the nurse's station, in that PICU, wherever they find themselves tonight. Save them, God. Save them. Now I'm going to say the altar's open before I say amen. Gerald's already down. Brother Jimmy's going to be joining me. I'm going to make my way down. As the Spirit leads you, if you need one of us to pray for you, that's what we're here for. If you need to come down and spend a little time at the altar, please do that. There are people already down there. If you've been born again, come. We want to share and celebrate with you. If there's something on your heart that we need to pray for you, some specific thing, come tell us. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name you would do what only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.